0: Hello, my name is Ran and this is the Flow Artist Podcast. We're all about yoga, movement, meditation and we love to learn how great teachers find their flow and share it with the world. I hope you're having an amazing day. I've had a busy couple of weeks myself. Last weekend, we hosted a chair yoga teacher training at our studio, Garden of Yoga, led by former guest of the podcast, Claire Canine. It was great fun. I took part in the training myself, and there was a wonderful group of people who I am sure will make amazing chair yoga teachers. We really believe that yoga should be accessible and available for everyone, so it was wonderful to be able to take part in this training and to be able to host this event at our studio. Now, for today's episode, I'm super excited about our guest. His name is Tim Suda. Tim is a Canadian yoga teacher and yoga studio owner who lives in Whangarei, a city in the far north of New Zealand. Tim has also worked as a fireman for many years, both in Canada and New Zealand. My co-host Joe Stewart and I were both really interested in learning about how yoga and meditation could benefit individuals who worked in this profession or first responders in general as you might imagine this line of work can be very intense both physically and mentally so i feel personally that yoga and meditation has the potential to help here now just a note on this some of what we talk about in this episode could potentially be triggering for some people so please be advised But before I get into the conversation with Tim, I just wanted to quickly talk about an upcoming workshop that Joe and I will both be attending here in Melbourne. It's the Assessing and Balancing the Human System workshop with Amy Wheeler. You might remember her episode of the podcast just a few weeks ago, which was packed full of great information, and I can't wait to attend this workshop i'm sure it'll be an amazing event it's taking place from august 9 to 11 so get in quick to secure your spot i'll put a link on our website at podcast.flowartist.com in our show notes so have a look there for more information all right that's more than enough from me let's get on to the conversation with tim Suda. All right. So, hello, Tim. I hope you're having a great day so far. Thanks so much for joining with us. It's so good to be able to get the chance to speak with you. I was wondering if you could just begin by telling us a little bit about your background and where you grew up.
1: Yeah, thanks, guys, for having me. So, I was originally born in Canada in a city called Edmonton. Yeah, it's a pretty cold place for most of the year. So, I spent a lot of time on my parents' farm growing up doing farmy kind of things skiing, doing a lot of outdoor activities. My family was, you know, I got two older sisters and yeah, it was just a lot of sports. Right from a very young age, I was skiing at age three on the on the ski slopes and started playing ice hockey officially at five, even though I was on a frozen pond at about ah. two and three. Uh, and then just kept on growing up and playing more and more different kinds of sports, I guess. So a typical, or I thought it was a typical childhood, but I found mm-hmm. out now that i'm a parent that it probably wasn't that typical <laughs>
0: <laughs> so i guess to to skip ahead a bit how, how did you come to work as a firefighter
1: i'll try not to get too off on the tangent with it but um i was early 20s i was in university i actually at one point thought i'd become a history professor i don't know why um <laughs> that was going to be something i thought i would do but i just really loved history and I loved university but I was in my fourth year of that and I'd been uh, in an honors program so I had to kind of write a thesis so I'd written about 85 pages on a topic of medieval Europe and I was just like man I am done and so I was kind of sitting in the library I'm like I don't want to spend the rest of my life sitting in a library here I don't know what else I can do but the idea of going to university for another couple years to get a teaching degree just doesn't doesn't really work for me, so I uh, kind of looked around. I thought, oh, maybe I should be a policeman. No, nope, that wasn't the kind of thing I wanted. And I was kind of like, oh, maybe, maybe being a firefighter. Yeah, that that looks pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so I just kind of went went for it. And at first, I was pretty unsuccessful. I just kind of thought, oh, I'll just put in an application form, and presto, voila, I'd, I'd be a firefighter. I didn't really realize that. Hundreds, if not thousands of people apply for these kinds of jobs. And so at first I just kind of just went into it and thought, oh, I'll just, I'll be successful because it's me and I'm a cool guy, I think. <laughs> um, little I know that uh, that's not how it goes. And I was competing with quite a few people, about 1100, I think, was the first time I applied and 40 people were, for, were ultimately selected and I was pretty gutted. Actually, I thought, why wouldn't they pick me? I'm an awesome person. <laughs> but then tried a second time with another city a little further south in Canada called Calgary. And again, I got I went to the interview and I prepared a little bit more and I thought, oh, I'll get in here. And then nah. again, I got, I got rejected at the interview stage. And I was just like, what is going on? So I kind of set up myself, I'm never going to fail this again. So in the meantime, I went back to playing university and I kind of thought I'd have to wait till the next application And then a pretty big event happened in early 2000s, early 2000s there, 9-11, and brought firefighting to the forefront with the World Trade Center and just everything that happened with the firefighters there. And so the city of Edmonton was all of a sudden short of firefighters. And they said, hey, you tracked me down. I hadn't been in touch with them for nine or 10 months and I'd moved and everything. And they just said, we're going to hire 20 more guys. We're going to interview 35 of you and you've got one week to prepare and see you then. So I, uh, I just put everything into it. I recorded myself. I did every question I found on the internet I could and went to the interview and nailed it. And I've been a firefighter since January 7th, 2002.
2: I'm really curious. What kind of things do they ask you about at the interview?
1: Oh, yeah. The, well, I've done it again in New Zealand. I've become a firefighter in two parts of the world. So I, I might know a thing or two about what Mm -hmm. they ask nowadays but in the original interview it was a lot of types of questions about like how would you handle this type of situation why do you want to become a firefighter and so you kind of what you need to do to kind of set yourself apart is you have to actually tell people the truth not like everyone who wants to become a firefighter at some point would probably say oh i want to help people or i want to do cool things but you probably, 98% of the other people would say, oh, I wanna help others and you know, I wanna do cool things. And so you gotta, what you really need to, to get at is like why you wanna do it. And so I told a story about first time I ever wanted to become a firefighter. And, uh, and when they said, why do you wanna become a firefighter? I said, well, when I was 10 years old, I won fire chief for the day. <laughs> a Bunch of firefighters came to my school, picked me up, gave me a helmet that I actually still have 30 years later. And um, they took me to the fire station, and I got to tour the trucks, and they took me to McDonald's. And in the 80s, that was really cool. (laughs) 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 And that just always, I guess, kind of stuck in the back of my mind is just these people just kind of did this on their own, like, for a kid to feel special for the day. and, And I want to replicate that. And I remember watching the interviewers that all put their pens down and were, like, leaning in and listening to the story with some interest. So I was like, oh, yeah. That's a little different of a story. They're a little more interested as opposed to, you know, the people they talked to before. And it's just a lot of, they just want to make sure you're going to be a team player, hard worker. You're not in for the glory jobs. If, if there's anything I've learned after 17 years as a firefighter, is, is it may look like glory or something in the movie's backdraft or Ladder 49. But in reality, it's just a lot of hard work and then a lot of time where you're waiting for there to be work and you're doing tasks, looking at trucks, washing equipment, vacuuming the fire station, (laughs) (laughs) sorts of things like that.
0: I imagine firefighting can be pretty stressful and intense. And do you think yoga helped you handle some aspects of the job a bit easier?
1: Yeah, that's uh, that's a very, that's a good question. I'd say there's kind of a a two-fold answer to that. So on the base level, yes, there's been a lot of research particularly in North America, about trauma, first responders, how that's getting stored in the body, and stuff like that, and having a way to to release it safely. A lot of first responders, or I'll just speak specifically about firefighters, that's what I've been, they do a lot of fitness to to stay relatively in tune with the game, but a lot of that doesn't require you to really get into the mind so to speak, like you can push some weights, you can run on the treadmill for a half an hour, 45 minutes, you might get, you know, some calorie burn, you might feel good from the endorphin rush from, you know, a a good hard workout. But you're not really accessing the parts of the brain and the mind that are impacted through stressful situations and traumatic things that you're a part of and stuff. So yoga is quite interested in that whether you as a a yoga student or yoga teacher is aware of that as as you can be. So using yoga for me helped unlock those kinds of blockages that I didn't realize were really kind of deeply inset from you know just different traumatic incidences. Mm-hmm. The flip side of that is then I found for me at least that it's made me more susceptible to feeling the emotions that are there. I don't know if you know what I mean by that, but like, Oh,
2: definitely. Yeah.
1: If you're at like a car accident, I went to two yesterday. You have people who are like injured, their family members may be trying to get them out of the car and, and then they're waiting for you to do it. And there's just, you know, a lot of just things that need to be done and you want to work quickly. And there's grief potentially if there's someone who's really injured or, you know, potential fatality and stuff. And so you, you take all that on without even realizing it. Cause you're just trying to work and trying to just get it done as quickly as possible. And then afterwards you go back to the station and then you're sitting there and then all of a sudden, like, it's like, Oh yeah, the adrenaline's done. Oh, Oh yeah. I that kind of, I don't really feel really great about that. That I feel really, you know, some grief and stuff. So I think that part of it as a, when you get involved with yoga is it gives you the ability to tap into that and then you have to kind of deal with it as opposed to, oh, I'm just going to throw a brick or two on this, which is what a lot of first responders do, unfortunately, is, oh, well, I've seen this 300 times. Why is this one bothering me more than than the one I saw last week or or stuff like that? So you, it, it gives you the tools to open up and deal with it. And then it also makes you have a little more empathy while you're there and then that you have to kind of learn to deal with. I hope that's clear about what I mean about that.
2: Yeah, definitely. It just really brings home all of those practices in yoga that are all about opening your heart and really being with what is happening in your mind and in your body at that time and I guess taking down some emotional walls and barriers that we sometimes build up whereas sometimes if you're in those really stressful situations, being a bit more detached could make that easier to deal with at the time because you're just not as in tune with your emotions. Like you were saying, like you're a little bit more in work mode rather than in heartfelt connection mode, the way that we are in a yoga class. And so if you're a yogi and a firefighter, you kind of have to navigate both. And I guess you probably have found over time, or let me ask you: Have you noticed over time that you have found different coping strategies when the kind of shove it all in isn't really what you're about anymore?
1: Yeah, but what you said all before that—that's that's really hitting it, hitting it on the head there. And um, for me, I found that when I originally started yoga, and what I was really drawn to was the physical practice. Uh, and the asanas and doing that kind of thing. And when I had to, when that kind of was enough, like I'd, you know, i done a few years of asana practice and I'd sweated out a bunch and, you know, I'd, you know, done different things. All of a sudden I was kind of left with, okay, I've got to really start getting this mind thing figured out because I'm seeing these things. I'm going to these incidences. They do bug me, but what do I need to do to get through them, I guess? And for me, I just, I really had to get into the meditative practice. And sometimes when that's happening, as you meditate, like your mind kind of, we all trying to, you know, focus the mind, but it's always going off and different ideas are coming in. And the one thing that you have to be really cautious of, I think, from a first responder or slash firefighter perspective, is that some of those ideas that come in or the mind wanders to, they aren't always lollipops and rice fields in Bali. Sometimes situations that you've faced and people you've seen or things you've heard, those kinds of ideas can come into the mind. And if you're not ready for that, it can be pretty confronting. So a meditative practice has to be contained a little bit and understand that you're not reliving the situation again, that you're actually just You know meditating and remind yourself to come back to your breath and and stuff like that so it's something just to be cautious of when you're when you're heading into that zone to to really um remember yeah just the breath and that you're not reliving it it's just something that happened that you tried your best at and from that point you can learn to let go of it Hope that makes sense.
2: Yeah, definitely.
0: And so how did you discover yoga?
1: Well, <laughs> I grew up in a pretty religious household and yoga was definitely nothing like how I raise my kids now. Like my kids talk about yoga all the time. My son tries to walk around sitting in lotus positions. So that's <laughs> not, how I grew up. I was just in a, in a quick sense. I was in my late 20s and I was very into Brazilian jiu-jitsu at the time. And some friends were, we were training, I was helping them prepare for their trip to Brazil to train and compete down there. So we were, you know, in Canada, it's warm there, but it's not like Brazil hot. And so they were trying to figure out ways to do physical ex- exercise where it'd be just really hot and sweaty. And so they started talking about Bikram yoga. And so this one guy in the club at the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu club was like, oh, I did, I did Bikram yoga. You should give it a try, man. It's so hot. And I was just like, "What? What are, you, what are you going to yoga for? Like, what is? What, why would you do that?" And he's like, "Man, I'm telling you, it's like the hardest thing I've ever done. Like, 40 degrees, and oh man, you should give it a shot." And I was just like, "Uh, I don't know, man. That's this is all before kind of Bikram yoga kind of had some more controversies, like he said, and recently outside the scope of this podcast, I just wanted to frame that but this is like 2000." Mm-hmm and six maybe, or something like that, Uh, yeah about 2006, 2007. Anyways, I went to the local Bikram studio, I gave it a shot, it was, I was, walked in there, there were 50 people in the room, I was the 50th person, I found some little corner, and people were doing all sorts of things that I had no, I couldn't even like bend forward and touch my toes, obviously, that's, you know, what you think you need to be doing the first time you walk into a yoga class. And it just kicked me, kicked me around. And I, I just couldn't believe that something I perceived to be so easy and just all sorts of stereotypes was nothing like what I thought. And so I just kept on going back and I moved away from Bikram yoga. It was kind of a one-dimensional practice for me at the time, but it was a good start because it helped me appreciate the power that asana can have. And then from there, learn that, you can transcend past Asana. So Asana is great to always come back to and, and to strengthen and to focus and to you know, be in your body. But then realizing that that's just the start, it's not the be all and end all. And you can transcend past those kinds of things. And did you have any sort of key teachers? Ah, to be honest, I would have to actually say, say myself to begin, to be honest. I started going to a a yoga studio in Canada, in Edmonton, and it was a, a heated studio. I just always gravitated to being warm and, and enjoying kind of a Even if it was a yin practice, I just really enjoyed being in a warm room, especially when it's minus 35 outside. Yeah,
2: That makes sense.
1: (laughs) So so in Canada, like heated yoga is quite popular because for most of the year, it's so bloody cold that it just feels (laughs) nice to be in somewhere else where you're not paying to heat it. But um, there was a studio there. Oh, the names just escaped me all of a sudden. There was a teacher there named Sarah Suiva was her name. And um, she just taught I just really like going to her classes, but I kind of just wanted to go to everyone's classes. Like I kind of looked at my schedule as a firefighter and I had a young family at the time. They had classes at nine o'clock at night and sometimes they were yin yoga and sometimes they were like flow or they were just, it was just different. And I was like, man, I'm a night owl. I can do yoga at nine o'clock at night and I don't have to worry about my family commitments or anything like that. I'm going. So I just started going all the time. When I came to New Zealand, though, in the city I live in now, there was just no one doing anything like how I had done it in Canada. And so I actually, why I became a yoga teacher is I started at the fire station. I'm like, well, there's no one here teaching yoga like how I like it. And all these guys are kind of never done yoga in their life. So I'm just going to start doing like some 20, 30 minutes after we do like a workout there. And then all of a sudden, like six months later, I was planning to head to Bali to become a yoga teacher. So it kind of just worked out from the idea that these guys I was working with were interested in what I said and how I talked about poses. And I was just basing it off of what I had done in Canada. I had, you no know, normal formal training prior to that point. And and teaching yoga or anything, but it just really resonated with me and my wife's like, why don't you just teach yoga? You love it so much, why don't you teach it? And, and, yeah, kind of went from there.
2: It sounds like it just came out of a genuine, like, need and interest from all the guys and the women that you're working with as well. I'm interested. Do firefighters, like, are they tend to be drawn to, like, a more intense, active fitness kind of practice where you can really feel stuff? or like more gentle restorative practice because you're probably all a bit exhausted from the other training that you do?
1: Well, I'll answer your question. The first part with the more intense practice, that's pretty much what they'll always gravitate towards. But what they probably need is a second kind of practice. So for the exact reasons you said, firefighters, at least the ones I've worked with and stuff, they want to be fit. They want to you kind of have to have a certain idea, like people pay you to run into burning buildings. So you kind of have a different sense of life to begin with. Yeah. A lot of them have, you know, like they're energetic people. They do things, quick decisions, and you just go and do something. So, you know, a Ashtanga type practice or, you know, a stronger vinyasa type flow practice is something that would resonate initially with a lot of them. And then it would also, i found, help some understand that it's not, Always what you perceive it to be and someone who can, you know, bench press a whole bunch of weight or, you know, run for three hours nonstop. Either person there has a hard time even just doing an uttanasana, you know, just a simple forward fold. It's so hard for them because they just haven't done anything like that. But the what, what a lot of them need due to the years of, you know, witnessing traumas and being involved in emergency situations and the stresses of that is... A balance with the restorative practices i found at the fire station now when i'm on night shifts and there's one of my colleagues he's just desperate for yin every night kind of thing if we don't have calls and, and it's you know nine o'clock at night he's just like when, when are we going to <laughs> bring on the
2: yin, yin. <laughs> <laughs> you just mentioned before about how often firefighters are drawn to a flow practice and I just had this realisation that when you're all working together in response to a situation that's always changing, you must be in a real flow stage, like you would have drilled these moves and drilled these processes, but it would always be evolving and you probably couldn't get too caught up in reactionary just like oh my god this is a disaster you would just have to be in the flow to do what you need to do and I was wondering if you ever feel like there is a little bit of a correlation between the state of mind when you're just flowing through your practice and the state of mind that you really need to be in to do your job to the best of your abilities
1: yeah that's really really interesting I hadn't really pieced it together like that before but I think it's it's quite a a legitimate way to, to describe it because I've kind of described to people in the past when they're like, Oh, what do you guys do? You know, what what do we, you know and a lot of times there is downtime. Like my job, I go to the fire station for 10 hour days or 14 hour nights or sometimes for 24 hours. And if nothing bad happens that day, like that's a great day. And people are kind of like, well what do you do then? And it's just like, well we do all sorts of things, but ultimately as soon as something happens, like you're sitting there and it's dinner time and you're, you know, you've worked 18 hours already and you're just like, oh my God, I just want to have a like a meal. The bell goes, you just have to go. <laughs> Whether you want to not sit that you want to sit there and be like, I want to finish this dinner because I know it's gonna be four hours before I'm back, you kind of don't have that choice. You just have to go. You have to be ready to go at all times. And once you're on the road, it's like, what are we going to? And you get sometimes great information and sometimes like the other day we were we were given the complete wrong address no
2: oh, no it
1: was the right road but the other intersection so the road was like four miles no as long as that maybe like eight eight kilometers long and we were dispatched to the other end so we were like eight kilometers away from the call so then we had to like figure out oh my gosh it's the other end they meant the caller who called it in kind of thing. So then, you know, like we're driving along, hoping that we're making the right decision. It could have been like a complete mess up from dispatch, you know, kind of thing. So you just always have to be in the flow. And applying that to yoga, I think, I think that's a really, a really interesting concept. I'm going to have to think about that some more about why I've gravitated to that practice. One thing that I, I want to mention about firefighting and yoga is when I did my teacher training, I actually ended up doing, with a company called Yandara, but at the time Dylan Werner, I don't know if you guys. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. So Dylan was one of the assistant teachers with Yandara there at the time. And what really impacted me at that training was at the time Dylan was a firefighter also in California and it kind of blew me away that he's pretty well known in the yoga world now he's you know Mr. Handstand and he does he's a great teacher and stuff like that at the time what what blew me away was that this guy that was doing the exact same job as me was you know really in tune with himself and you know like the first thing he did when he saw me is like give me a hug and that was kind of well. I was you know, the first time a firefighter did another firefighter that I had ever seen. You know, like you give guys like a high five, or you'd be, you know, like you know, you joke around, put your arm around a guy, and put him in like a, you know, like a jokey headlock, like you do in the in a locker room. But to have a guy like walk up to you and just you know give you just like that full on like embracing, loving hug, and to be totally in tune with that, to be in this alpha male at the time, most. Unfortunately, there's still like, it's great that women are in the fire service, but it's still male dominated and to have like a male totally in tune with himself and be able to show that to me, that just really impacted, impacted me in, you know, seven years later, I'm still, still talking about it. And I still remember all the times that with Dylan there and just helping him, helping me unlock that in myself also.
2: I guess it is that sense that you can be strong, but also you can be open and you can be caring and you can be loving to yourself and to other people and it doesn't take away from being able to be strong when you need to be. And in fact, it probably helps
1: you do all of those things. Precisely, yeah, exactly exactly how I felt. And um, it just really... It, Like just into my mind, just popped in, like while we were on our teacher training, one of our, like one of the students actually had a motorcycle or a scooter accident in Bali and I was the first one kind of on scene there and she had broken a collarbone and had a pretty good hit on her head and stuff like that. And then, you know, I told a Balinese man who was kind of with the resort we were at, go get Dylan because I knew Dylan would know how to help me, you know, kind of thing and get get this person looked after and help her get to the proper place and stuff. So, and he showed up like we were just, we'd never worked together before in an emergency, but here we are on our teacher training dealing with an injury (laughs) that was broken collarbone. Like she wasn't, wasn't a high speed or anything, but it was just ironic that here I am working with another firefighter on my teacher training with this person that I just met 12 days before. And now we're, you know, trying to like, make sure she's all right and she was pretty banged up unfortunately but you know we got her to the hospital and and she ended up being you know full recovery and all that but. Not the typical thing you expect to
2: do on a teacher. No. I've noticed that a lot of people who work in fields that are all about helping other people, and I see quite a few nurses in my classes, often find it really challenging to prioritise self-care and I often don't see people until they've already injured their backs or they're already feeling exhausted and burnt out. Is the pattern of always putting other people first and taking care of other people and not even really registering your own needs, also a bit of a pattern with firefighters?
1: I would say in the medical profession, nurses and firefighters have very kind of similar roles. So we have to know as a firefighter how to do everything and nurses in emergency situations kind of need to know how to do everything also. You know, they're assisting this, assisting that, getting this done, doing this, dealing with patients on a day-to-day basis. And so, yeah, I would say that firefighters are really great at helping others and really great when someone says, hey, you know, I need help moving this or emergency situations. I mean, you know, we got to do all these things when it comes to dealing with themselves and finding, hey, you know what, I had a really bad day and I saw some things I didn't really like and stuff you kind of as a firefighter and it's this is pervasive around the world because i was a firefighter for 10 plus years in canada and i've been one in new zealand for seven years is that the last thing you kind of think you should do is go take that home with you so you kind of pack it up you put your helmet away at the end of your shift and you grab your your new hat your dad hat or your partner hat or your young kid and you just want to go out and have beer hat or whatever it is but you kind of just stick that aside you, you put a brick on it maybe and you just come back the next day and you kind of do it all again so you just get this cumulative effect that you're not really realizing that these things are starting to drag on your on your soul and you just kind of keep doing the same things so oh i'll work out more or i'll do this or I'll do that and you end up either getting some injuries i've got a lot of people i work with that have shoulder injuries and back injuries and they're you know, they're they're getting older now and they're like, oh, well, I'll just keep on working out because that's what I did when I was 25. And that helped me deal with like the stresses of the job. And now they're 45 and they're like, oh, well, I'm going to still like do deadlifts and not do any stretching and then just, you know, go out there. And then all, all of a sudden I've got a lone disc and oh my God, my shoulder hurts. And so I ask them, hey, why don't you come and do some stretching with me? And then it's the, there's a little bit of like this trepidation, like, oh, but I'm going to be in quotation marks, bad at it. And that's really hard for athletes as well as firefighters to be good at everything else. And then when you try yoga, it's hard and difficult. And people talk to you in this other language in the sense like get in touch with your heart center. No one's ever said that to them in a fire station.
0: (laughs) I did a little bit of research on first responders and yoga. And I found this quote that I thought was really interesting. It says, as I got deeper into my own study of yoga, I realized that this practice is not just good for first responders. It is meant for them. Why? Because the original and true intents of yoga are to obtain a mastery of the mind and achieve an optimal functioning of the entire being from the subtle nervous system to the whole physical body. This authentic objective of yoga is thousands of years old with no relation to how recent Western culture is marketed as trendy and hip and then i was just wondering if you had anything to say to speak to that
1: yeah so i think for myself and for just i wish sometimes when i was at work i could just do anything to get some some of the guys i work with to just come and do a few guys over the years have tried yoga and stuff but they just don't stick with it and it's just for me i just i i just It's like, how long do I have to yell (laughs) to get you guys to realize that we're dealing with all these things? They're not necessarily pleasant. You know, we have good days too. I'm not saying it's always, you know, doom and gloom. Um, You get days where, you know, you're successful and you go home thinking, yeah, like we saved that person's life or, you know, a good thing happened or, you know, we went to like a school visit and all these kids were just excited to be sitting in a fire truck and, you know give you a high five and, and stuff like that those those days exist but there are days when when those types of things are kind of far from your mind and what yoga can just really help do is bring you back to the present and sometimes when you're dealing with traumatic things and in my experience like i've found sometimes like a smell i can i smell something and i'm like maybe it's had another call and i'm like oh my god that's taking me back to another call that was, you know, really awful. And now I'm smelling it again. And then you kind of get into this thing of like your mind starts to imprint that on your, and then when you're out of work, you might smell something similar to that. And for me, it's the smell of like cigarette. Like if someone's been smoking in their home for 20 or 30 years and you get that really just cigarette smell in carpets and furniture and mm-hmm. stuff. When I smell that smell, whether I'm going to install someone's, you know smoke alarm or I'm actually doing an emergency situation there I find my mind wants to like go back and that's where the practice of yoga and being present and focusing on your breathing can help you overcome that mental connection to the past and so I've used that as a tool to to be aware okay I'm aware that my mind's now gone to the past or something that's been imprinted on it from whatever the situation was okay I'm, I'm i'm aware that i've done that i need to okay just sit here for a moment and just breathe and just relax and that doesn't always happen because when you're on a call you don't have time to sit and breathe and relax and be you have things that you need to do and this is where emergency response gets kind of lost in that because you you're you're doing this situation you have no time to process what you're doing you're just doing chest compressions or you're cutting out a car you're putting out a house fire it's not until like hours later that you're sitting there and you're like oh yeah that smell and then that's when that mindfulness can really start to impact you in a positive way by allowing you to observe what that feeling is but not feel the guilt or the sadness or the grief or anything else that originally you may have felt with that, the the practice of yoga allows you to have freedom from that, I guess is what I'm trying to say in a long winded. Oh, no, that
2: makes a lot of sense. Just honing that ability to observe your thoughts and observe the movements of your mind and to be able to examine them and look at them and not necessarily like push them down or shove them away, but also to acknowledge that that is something that happened in the past and that you're here in the present now.
0: Hello there! Run just popping in to let you know about an exciting event coming up at our studio, Garden of Yoga. We are super proud, I say super a lot, don't I? Super proud to be hosting Tim Suda for two workshops later this year, and we would love for you to join us. If you've made it this far through the episode, you already know that Tim has a strong yet vulnerable approach that will make for a practice that is deep and powerful. Dates are still to be confirmed, but if you'd like to be kept in the loop, just go to gardenofyoga.com.au slash workshops for more information. All right, that's all from me for now. Let's get back to our conversation with Tim.
2: This sounds so necessary for anyone working in this field. Is there mental health support for firefighters or is there any kind of program to help people with the mental side of the job?
1: Uh, That's a great question. In New Zealand, there is a lot of work that could still be done in that realm for all emergency services personnel. In Canada, when I was a firefighter in Canada, there was a thing called critical incident stress management, they call it. And in the past, what it kind of resulted in is... You'd go to a situation that you know was pretty rough, whatever it was. You'd be sitting in the back of the truck because I was a young firefighter at the time. A captain would turn around. He would say, hey, everyone all right? And you'd kind of just put, of course, yeah, I'm fine. And um, then that was kind of the end of it. That was your mental health support? (laughs) Yeah, to be honest. But, you know, there'd be like you could call in Like the captain could call in a peer support person who was trained in critical incident stress management. In the 11 years I was a firefighter in Canada, that never happened. You could always ask for it. There was never like people would say, oh, you can't ask for it. But no one that I worked with would ask for it. And so then you'd be like, oh, if no one else is asking for it, I guess I'll be fine too, you know, kind of thing. Unfortunately, that all came to a head a few years ago after I left Canada. One of my one of my friends, who I was in recruit training with, and was a highly respected member of the of the department in, in Edmonton. He was uh, his dad had been a um, retired chief. He'd been there thirty five years. Um, this guy had been almost a professional ice hockey player. Had been um, just in the union. Everyone knew who he was. He was an awesome dude, and um, unfortunately, he took his life. Oh, wow. there. My friends um, that were in the class, two. well, one of them was in my recruits class and was really tight at that time. He phoned me at like three in the morning in New Zealand to let me know. And then I got another um, message from another guy who knew that I would be impacted by this kind of thing. And what that, the unfortunate situation brought about a complete change in mental health for firefighters in Edmonton that I used to work with. They created a whole mental support system that wasn't this thing where someone would turn around and ask you if you are right. They they were made it so that the captains who had done the job for 20, 30 years would recognize and give them the encouragement to say, you know what, you guys have done this job for a long time. You need to recognize that this is something that is not normal and we need to get peer support started whether people are asking for it or not. Now in New Zealand. New Zealand in, I'd say, 2015, what normally used to happen here is firefighters just put out fires. And there's a whole segment in New Zealand that is, there's about 1,800 paid firefighters in New Zealand, and there's about eight to 10,000 volunteer firefighters. And so, you know, there's a, lo- a huge segment of uh, New Zealand society that these people show up for free, for hours at a time dealing with emergency situations that involve their, you know, their neighbor down the road or, you know, someone that they work with and they're small community people. And so these types of situations are impacting them. And right now in New Zealand, the fire service is aware of the situation. You know, they're trying to kind of muddle their way through about how do you deal with this behemoth of mental health issues. But they're kind of saying well we've got a poster here if you have problems you can call the number on this poster and they'll you know get you in touch with someone who can you can talk to unfortunately what i've noticed and kind of what happened with with myself is by the time you're ready to ask for it you're probably a lot further along than you needed to be and earlier intervention and peer support not waiting for you to ask for it. Cause as I said earlier, firefighters are great at helping others and not great at asking for help for themselves. Yeah, it's it's a conversation that's happening here now, thankfully, but there's a lot of work that needs to be done for it. I know Australia is a little further ahead of the ball. because They've kind of looked at the North American model and they're implementing better support. New Zealand's looking to Australia and what they're doing, which is kind of like why wait for Australia to do it why don't we just mm. go look overseas and see what they're doing I've, I've kind of had to hit my head against the wall a few times about it where I'm just like okay well anyone wants to talk to me about what I went through and what, what how I feel I'm here to listen and to to be empathetic but anytime they ask me about like oh how's our program working I just say a poster on the wall isn't enough. Mm. It needs to be more proactive than
2: that. I guess as well, because you are emergency responders, it's probably a little bit ingrained in the system that you just handle stuff. And so people wouldn't even consider reaching out for help if they did feel like it was something that they could handle on their own. Whereas as you were saying, if you get help and support from the beginning, like you don't have to carry it all on your own shoulders and it almost seems like it should be something that is training with your other training as to like how to take care of yourself and how to deal with the mental stress which just is a part of this job. It's unavoidable, like it is a stressful job and to have longevity in that profession And just to be a happy, calm human being when you're not in those emergency situations, I can't imagine anyone would innately have those skills. Like it just seems like something that everyone would need help with and strategies. Like it's something that you would have to learn and evolve as you learn to do the other aspects of that job.
1: I I couldn't agree more. Yeah, like you've really, really encapsulated it really well there. There is kind of and I'll use like not to be gender specific, but there is a macho type of attitude that you should, you know, you've done this for 20 years. It should be better. I really respect one of my officers and he was recent. He's been a firefighter for 40 plus years. He's uh, planning to retire in about 18 months. So he'll have about 40, 43 years as a firefighter, which is a long yeah. time. And he's been, he's been really kind of trying to, changed the system a lot and he's been trying to tell people that there's this perception that the longer you do the job the easier it is to deal with it and he's actually saying it's the opposite the longer you deal with the job the more it gets harder to deal with those types of situations and I think that deals with that comes to the fact that you've kind of got this anchor dragging behind you of whatever it's been it could be a call with a child or it could have been you know, uh, it could be anything. And it that's another part of the, the aspect with the mental health of first responders is they talk a lot about the cumulative effect of PTSD. So I'm no you know psychologist. I'm not anything trained in that, in that regard. But just doing a lot of my own kind of research and stuff. And it's just people just assume, well, you've been doing this for so many years. You should be fine with it. And I say it's the opposite. It's just if you don't have resilient uh, ways to deal with it, eventually you're just going to hit your number and it could be something really serious or it could be just something where you are just um something that would seem routine although i don't know how you describe anything that i would do yeah. routine <laughs> in a but um just something all of a sudden It just one day you're at work and you're fine and then the next day you're angry you do something that you weren't maybe really out of character and and that starts kind of a cascade cascade of stuff there's Unfortunately, a lot of firefighters have are you know great people, but they have a lot of challenge trying to maintain healthy relationships outside of the job because you're carrying this kind of burden that you don't want to share with people. You don't want to tell someone, oh, by the way, I went to my third suicide today, this week, or, you know, I've there was a family that died in a car accident. And now I've got to go home and see my kids are the same age. You know, you don't want to go home and then start talking about all that and feeling that. And so that can start to wear someone down.
2: Yeah, that would wear anyone down. Mm,
1: Absolutely. And so that's why I think yoga can just really help. But it's not a quick pill, as we all know, with yoga, like you you can't just do it two or three times and kind of think you're fixed so to speak, you kind of have to commit to it. And like I've done a little bit of trauma-informed yoga stuff. I tried to kind of encourage the people who were leading a session I was attending in New Zealand to get in touch with the fire service because, you know, it's great to deal with women who've had, you know, unfortunate situations happen to them. But there's actually a lot of men who might not have the same kind of trauma as in they haven't been assaulted or they haven't had, you know, something happen, but they've spent 20 years going to those types of calls. They need some help too. You know, we need to help. We talk about, we want men to be better, but you know, we need to support them to be better.
0: So I guess to change the topic completely, I'm, I'm wondering what brought you to New Zealand?
1: Yeah, so that, that's a big culture shift here in our talk. That's good. It's getting a little, getting a little <laughs> heavy. Yeah, so it was about 2010, and I was absolutely fed up with going to emergency calls at minus 30, minus 40, or colder. Sometimes with the wind chill, it could get into the minus 50s, where I was from in the winter. In summer, I would get like 30 above, so you get like 60, 70 degree temperature changes in a calendar oh, wow. year. And I remember I was just, I'm done with this. Like, why am I sitting out here freezing every single night going, doing this stuff when there's like plenty of other places in the world that it's never cold. A whole bunch of things happen in, it basically, that kind of planted the seed to looking to live somewhere else in the world. In the fire, in firefighting, there's a thing called a firefighter exchange. So in, if you kind of get a little intrepid and you want to do a different thing for a year, if you look around, some departments around the world will support you going to another part of the world for a year and, and working as a firefighter and then coming back. So that's kind of what my department in, in Edmonton was very supportive of that, and we had met some uh, firefighter who had done that from New Zealand, had come to Edmonton and had lived really close, and so talked to him about doing an exchange to New Zealand. Originally, I was actually going to come to Melbourne. Actually, talked to a guy there, and I was quite interested. But my my wife, she was less interested. She saw Huntsman spider <laughs> <laughs> in the house and yeah that was the end of her wanting to move to australia so but she said i'd to go to new zealand so it just i could probably fill an hour of all the things that happened but basically we got contacted out of the blue by someone who said "Do you want to come to whangarei new zealand and do a, a fair fair exchange with us we said yes 100 percent." six months later we were in new zealand for a year we showed up here, I had three kids under the age of five. We moved from Edmonton to Whangarei, which is about as different a lifestyle as you could get. And we were just loved living by the ocean and kind of set up, I'd set up like seven things that had to happen. I don't know if it was seven or if it was 25. It was, I just said, we're going to keep walking one step forward and we're just going to keep going. That there's no plan here. I don't have this plan that I want to live in New Zealand for the rest of my life. It's just, I don't want to have any regrets in life so let's take a step forward and see if we could live here my wife got a job then a firefighter job opened up for me here i had to compete with everyone else in new zealand for it then you know all of a sudden okay you've got the job and i'm like oh my god now i got to decide do i want to stay in edmonton where i've got it made i've got it everything like we had the perfect like middle class life or do we you know throw that to the side and just go on an adventure and move halfway around the world to a place we have no 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 one and, and and don't know anything and just give our kids a completely different life and yeah that was seven years ago and we just just keep on doing that just one step forward little did I ever know when I started that that I'd ever like being a teacher yoga teacher wasn't on the radar when I was just like oh I'll just be a firefighter <laughs> on the, side of the world. But, Next thing that led to becoming a yoga teacher, which then led to becoming a yoga studio owner, which then became to like, oh my God, I love yoga. I can't get enough uh-huh. of it. I want to do it all the time. Nice.
2: How do you manage to have time to be a full-time firefighter and own a yoga studio and have three little kids? <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> I get asked that a lot. And I guess for me, I just, you know, there's days where you like, know, it's hard. Like when you're in the business of the business of yoga is a hard business to be in. And I mean that like you have rent to pay as a studio owner, you have bills that are due that you have to pay. And if you want to stay in business and stuff, and I just thought always said, if I'm going to get involved with this, I'm going to practice what I preach. And so I don't have a lot of spare time, let's say. Go off and go to Bali for three weeks and just be like, hey, I'm on vacation. But I probably wouldn't have done that anyways, even if I wasn't a yoga teacher. For me, I was kind of running around, I'll be honest. First few years, I was running the studio and trying to work full time and then teaching and then managing yoga teachers and then having them teaching what I wanted my studio and the, the culture I wanted with my studio. And it was causing me... Stress, I'll, I'll be 100% honest with it. When I finally got a hold of that and figured out, like, okay, like I, can't, I can't be in the business of telling people not to be stressed mm-hmm. and then stress myself, which I think is actually something that underlies a lot of yoga teachers and you almost may even feel some shame and guilt about mm-hmm. that because, you know, you're trying to help others. And you're telling them to not be stressed, yet you're sitting there, your studio's got not enough people coming, you don't have enough money to pay this or that or whatever. So for me, I just had to, I had to sit for 10 minutes and meditate. And for me, that was able to, it keeps me clear. So I never get what I need to get done in a day, pretty much. I usually have about 30 things I have to do, whether it's going to work or being a father or getting kids, getting here, getting there, teaching, whatever it is, we all have busy lives. But what i found that the it's just sitting for 10 minutes. Sometimes it's five because I'm just I'm feeling lazy. And I do want to do 10, I'll just do five. At least give me five. But I just find just that simple thing every day just keeps me clear and gives me the, uh, the ability that when I don't get all the things, I'm very task oriented, which is a very common thread among firefighters, is that if you can't get it done, it's okay. And meditation helped me learn to accept that. I'm still not great with it. I'm no, no expert on it, but it just has kept me balanced enough that I can juggle. And when I don't meditate, I know I can feel it right away. I can feel that I'm not clear. I'm not, I'm kind of running around being inefficient. And when I can just sit and meditate and I do it at night, I know I feel better and I know I feel clear. And when I wake up the next morning, I can, instead of sitting there, like getting like overwhelmed with all the things you need to do, I can sit there and be like, okay, let's just start at the, st- the start of the list today. What's the start? Okay, do that one and then do that one and I'll get to the studio and all work out. I don't know if that's how you guys have been doing it with your, with your lives and you're running the studio, but that's how I've felt for me as
2: well. um, It's definitely yeah. something that we have consciously had to come back to. Mm-hmm. And because we don't even have kids and I don't have another job. I just teach yoga and run the studio and do the podcast. And we notice for ourselves when we're getting a little bit caught up in the grind and just a little bit stressed out about our long list of things that we need to do. And just that realization of like, oh, we've stopped our regular meditation again. Mm-hmm. And we're like, okay, Back into that practice and just that discipline of, like you said, 10 minutes is enough time to really make a difference on the quality of the rest of your day and the rest of your week. But you're not going to get that many more jobs ticked off your list in that 10 minutes. Mm. Like you always have the time to do that practice and it helps you do everything else so much better.
1: Yeah, I was really impacted. I'm I'm quite fortunate to have where I live in, in New Zealand is pretty small city on the grand scheme of things somehow this very experienced yoga teacher she's been 40 plus years trained with Desikachar in India she has a master's degree in Sanskrit and Indian religions she's been a zen buddhist nun for 20 plus years she lives just a few minutes away from the studio and she just moved here a few years ago and so I have this resource I don't have to like necessarily leave because she like knows everything, (laughs) (laughs) and she just she just just used to keep saying to me Tim like everyone's got one minute if you don't have 10 even if you don't have one minute if you do not have one minute in your day to stop and breathe and be mindful she doesn't like the term mindfulness but to be in a meditative state for one minute you really have problems in your life and you need to sort that out she said everyone's got a minute Everyone's got five minutes. Hopefully everyone's got 10 and you just have to do it. And a lot of times it's just other excuses can happen. Oh, I'm tired. Oh, it'll be fine. I'll just do it tomorrow. You know, and she just like, she said, five years ago, I just said, I'm not doing it 90% anymore. I'm doing it every day. If that means it's five minutes, it's five minutes. And I've tried, I'm, I'm not at hundred percent. I'm at the 90 85, 90%, but I know that I want to get to that 100%. I want to stop the excuses. Oh, it's 10 o'clock at night. Oh, I'm tired. Oh, I should. Oh, it'll be fine. And I know the next day it's not fine because I'm not as clear and it's focused. It's like, why didn't I just do it? So then, you know, stop, mindful breath, let it go, do it tonight, <laughs> it'll be all right, you know? So it's even that one moment where you sit there and realize that, and instead of beating yourself up about it, and, oh you should do this, no, you should do that. You'd be like, no, I I want to do it because I know it gives me good benefits and it'll keep me clear and keep me focused and allow me to you know, get to that next thing I need to do. Nice.
0: So one thing I've noticed you've done recently is launch uh, Yogafire.tv. Would you like to talk about that and perhaps how that came about?
1: Oh, yeah. There's online yoga everywhere, right? You go to YouTube, you can put yoga in. How many names pop up? I don't know. Lots. Mm -hmm. Right. I live in this kind of small area and I was teaching around New Zealand and I teach somewhere like in Auckland, maybe or somewhere else. And people be like, Oh, where are you from? Like, where is your studio? I'd love to come back. And I'd say, Oh, I'm up in the far North in Fangarei. And then you just see people just like, Oh, (laughs) I'm not, I'm not ever going there. (laughs) Um, It's just, that's just too far. I'll never go there. And it was just kind of like, you know, they were kind of interested, like, Oh, they might come to my would come to my class if I were in you know their their area but uh they wouldn't and I just kind of got like why 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 don't I why don't I have like a YouTube channel so then I started getting looking into it and I was like oh I should f- film a few things 6 weeks later I'll be up and running it'll be all good yeah it's not how <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it was a very long process. I tried to do every part of it from the beginning. I was like, "Oh, I'm going to record it. I'm going to do all this. Probably the same kind of things you think with your podcast. Here, you know, you just going to just it's just going to happen. Like you're just going to make it all work, and it's going to be easy, right? Because everyone else makes it look so easy. I just really wanted a way to access people. I didn't like Google's kind of way of doing it now like maybe 10 years ago or five years ago you could kind of have a viable channel that you could you know reach Mm -hmm. people unless you're kind of playing google's game like on youtube and that's a lot of work you're just not able to reach people and i was kind of like well do i want to reach you know do I want a million views of my video or do i want to reach people that want to hear what i have to say want to share and practice with me and, and resonate with what i'm with what I'm saying and so I was just say like, I'm not I'm not gonna do the YouTube route like I'd love I'd have no problem giving free content I te- teach free classes all the time uh, the concept of doing that isn't isn't the thing for me but I was just I wanted something where I controlled what it looked like it was my practice it was my teaching style I wasn't competing with anyone else come to my site it's just me you know you're not there's great online yoga trainings that have 30, 40, 50 teachers with them, which are awesome. I just wanted something that was mine and I wanted to be able to scale my business so that I didn't have to open like 25 yoga studios to finally be profitable. I wanted to be able to live the life I wanted, share my practice and do it all in a format that could access, people could access anywhere in the world whenever they wanted. And all those things after a whole Whole lot of hours finally happened, and yeah, Yoga Fire TV is out there. It's been there like a couple of weeks. I love, I love the journey it was to get to that point. But if anyone's thinking of going that route and you think it's just going to be a couple of weeks, so you'll just put a couple of classes on. Yeah, it's a little more work than that. Yeah, <laughs> fair enough. And and a little more money, unless you want to do the YouTube route, like I said, like Yoga by Adrienne. I think everyone talks to me about. Well, I could just do her classes. I'm like, sure, she's mm. great. I don't do I don't do her classes, but I'm sure she's great. Go ahead. Like that's awesome. If that resonates with you, go go do her classes. That's that's fine. If you want to classes with me though, you'd have to come to my studio, come to a workshop and that, or find me on online now.
0: Nice. I, I did really wanna ask this question. As we know today there's a there's a terrible tragedy down in Christchurch and I know you're on the other end of the country. And I know people all around the world are are very upset and angry and sad and i I was just wondering what the general feeling in new zealand about this whole thing is
1: yeah well i'll have to just temper that with just a little framework is that i look at everything through a canadian perspective so even though i've lived here for seven years like i still always have my kind of canadian lenses because i spent you know 30 some years growing up in Canada and the Canadian perspective. Um, I think there's just a lot of shock in New Zealand. I think when New Zealanders have heard of these events happening in the United States, like, oh, there's another school shooting, like surprise, surprise. Well, it's because they don't have gun control. That's why I've I've heard a lot of New Zealanders say that. There's a lot of gun control in New Zealand. Now something like this has happened here. And I guess there's just a lot of shock, like how I've heard people say, like, "Why, why would you do it here? Like, there's we're in the middle of nowhere. There's, there's no one, you know, we're a small little country here. Like what, like these were all problems that other people had to face with. We've never had to face this. We could always just say, well, that would never happen here because we, you know, even events that have happened to Australia's, you know, the Bali Bali bombings, you know, those, there's an event, a couple, you know, there's been some kind of things with that. Again, Kiwis are like, Oh, we're far enough away. Like no one would you know, kind of bother us. We're, you know, just simple New Zealanders down here. And, Go out and, you know, do too much to others. So no one will probably do anything to us. And then they find, you know, white person, a male has gone into a mosque and killed 49 people. And it's just I think there's just a lot of shock, almost disbelief that that could ever happen in New Zealand, I think.
0: Yeah absolutely and I guess what are your thoughts about this as a first responder um, as to the people who would have had to I guess react to this and and I don't know pick up the pieces do you have any thoughts around that at all?
1: I think there are unsung heroes out there you know you have to really commend the men and women who were on duty yesterday down there um, whether they were with fire or they were with police or ambulance or in the hospitals because you know you just that's just not something you expect to do it when your day starts you kind of expect you'll do the typical things that you would do in a day you don't expect someone to come into your city and you know uh, another thing I've heard people say is like why does it have to happen to Christchurch haven't they had enough happen? you know they had an mm-hmm. earthquake and 2011, a few years ago, they had kind of a, a big forest fire that kind of burned some houses. You know, it's kind of like, why why does Christchurch kind of have all this stuff happening to me? Um, on the emergency response side, like, I'll be a little selfish here. I sort of, thank God I wasn't there. Because I can just imagine the shock and disbelief that, you know, you're at work that day. And then almost, I've had it happen on a small scale. You know, you go to something... It's like, how the hell does that ever happen? And now you're doing that on this massive scale, which like this has never happened in New Zealand. So it's it's just a shocking thing. Um, One thing like personally, like my wife and I have talked about is just we're we're not going to live in fear and we're not going to allow fear and anger to ruin what good there is in the world and um, that's something that we've tried to just say since it's happened is you know like we couldn't stop the situation that it's happened we can control how we respond to it and we can try and support and love those who've been impacted and just try our best to make society better and to find help for people that have mental illness
0: absolutely yeah no that's beautiful Oh, I guess we could probably talk for another hour, but we probably have to wind things up a little bit. So if you could distill everything that you've learned over, over your life and career as a firefighter and a, as a yoga teacher and, you know, everything you teach, if you could distill it all down to one core essence, what, what do you think that thing would be?
1: Patience. <laughs> for me, I've always wanted things immediate. I set my mind to something. I want it done. I'm going to do it and I want it now and that is not yoga you need to learn there's many lessons that yoga will teach you every individual but for me patience and just understanding that this is a life journey and being being present being in the moment allow yourself to you know forgive yourself when you when you fail to allow yourself not to be perfect to be vulnerable you know lots of lots of things but It could really just, for me, just boil down to, Tim, just slow down and be patient.
0: Beautiful. Well, thank you so, so much for speaking with us today. And thank you so much for your service as a firefighter and as a yoga teacher and just as a human being. So it's been a really wonderful conversation. Really, really glad to have had it.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for for inviting me to come on here and, and talk. It's been really awesome. Thank you so much.
0: And that was our episode with Tim Suda. It got a little bit heavy for a while there, but I think it was a powerful conversation and it really speaks to the power of yoga. I'd really like to hear your thoughts about this as well. Do you know or have you worked with any first responders? You can email us at podcast at or join our Facebook group, the Flow Artist Podcast Community. We would love to hear from you about this or any other topic you'd like to talk about. Now we have another great episode coming up in two weeks. It's an interview with the wonderful Amy Bell. We talk about a whole range of things including meditation, art, NLP and technology. It's a really fun conversation and I think you'll just love Amy. Alright, our theme song is Baby Robots by Soul. You're listening to it right now. It's used with permission get his music from gosoul.bandcamp.com Now on a side note when I'm editing these episodes and I'm getting near the end this song it gives me a real sense of triumph like I've, I've made it I really love it and I think that his music really speaks to the power and majesty of the universe in a quirky eclectic way Once more thank you so much for listening it's a real privilege being able to share these wonderful conversations with you Aroha nui Big Big Love.